It's the 25th of May in the year of our salvation, 2007. And you're back with Father Zed for another podcast. Well, this cat's on a hot tin roof, drinking that whiskey, nine to six proof. Don't need no doctor, don't feel no pain. My legs just two steps ahead of my brain. This cat's on a hot tin roof, this cat. We're gonna shake it loose with this cat. I don't get the blues of this cat shaking on a hot tin roof. We welcome as our guest today, St. Hilary of Poitiers, the Hammer of the Aryans. We're going to be hearing a piece from his De Trinitate, which is in the Office of Readings for today. Also, uh, I'll go off on one of my usual tangents, this time taking us into the validity of Mormon baptism. Here we go. St. Hilary of Poitiers, St. Hilary of ancient Pictavium, a great doctor of the church. Sometimes uh, he's called the hammer of the Arians, the Malleus Arianorum, and for good reason, too. He's a great doctor of the church, and despite his fame, we just don't know all that much concrete about him. Uh, the little bit we, that we do know about Hillary's life comes from Hillary's own works. This was even the case in the ancient world uh, when, for example, St. Jerome wrote about uh, a little life of Hillary in his work about famous men. Uh, Jerome, Jerome had to you know, rely on what Hillary said about himself. Uh, but we're pretty sure that he was born around the year 300, and then he became Bishop of Poitiers in 350. And he might have been a converted pagan, we're just not sure. But we do get some historical concreteness later on, in about 356, when Hillary takes on some Arians in Gaul and gets himself exiled uh, and deposed from his see for his work and sent off into exile in the east into Phrygia, which is sort of like, you know, being sent to Gary, Indiana, someplace like that. And anyway... Uh, in the East, Hillary comes to know the works of Origen, who very much influenced Hillary's way of reading scripture, you know, with the allegorical method and, you know, really meth good methodology he got from Origen. And Hillary also out there in the East encounters an anti-Aryan group called the Homoousians. Now, these are the Homoousians. They're not the Homoousians. You know, it's a little difference. It's one letter difference, a little, little vowel in there, which means that this group was not uh, in favor of the Council of Nicaea. The Homoousians thought that the Son was like the Father in substance, but not identical or of the same substance or nature as the Father. In other words, they did not think that the Son was consubstantial with the Father, but rather like him. So they were homoousians. He also encountered uh, Sabalianism in the Sabalians. And the Sabalians thought the Father and the Son were actually one person. Uh, 
in fact that the whole trinity was merely uh, an expression of different aspects different relations that god had with man uh for example uh, God is one God and uh, not in div different persons like we believe, but he expresses himself to man now as creator, as redeemer, and as sanctifier. I think you probably heard that formula before. But eventually, Hillary would conclude, because of his encounter with these different groups in the East and his experience with the Aryans back in the West, that we cannot express a true doctrine of the Trinity apart from the doctrine of Nicaea. That is, that God became incarnate man. And so Hillary uh, really put us back into trying to unite these different anti-Aryans and with the people who were uh, against uh, Nicaea into one common ground. You know, they were close enough to Nicaea to be very similar to its doctrine, but everybody basically was against the Aryans, and so he tried to find common ground between them, and he worked for that. He traveled enormously. He could get around. You know, he was in exile. And so he traveled widely for years, going to councils and synods, and he debated uh, different kinds of heretics. And um, according uh, to... Uh, Jerome, he basically, you know, spent his life doing this until he died around 367 or so. Now, Hillary's major work is probably his work on the Trinity, which is clearly an anti-Aryan work, but it's also an anti-Sabalian work. And in this little piece that we're going to hear, there are a few things that you can listen to. You're going to hear echoes of what's going on in Hillary's experience. You're going to hear, first of all, how he strives to express the unity of the nature of the persons of the Trinity as divine and as infinite, without obscuring, that is, how the persons relate to us, you know, the different ways. So this would appeal in a certain way to both to the Sibelians, but also to the Anti-Aryans. He's trying to bring them together in a doctrine here. And also how he stresses that God becomes incarnate. So he really has to defend the nature of Christ as both God and man. Also, as I have explained in other podcasts about uh, the different uh, dimensions of rhetoric involved, because all these doctors of the church were, were uh, trained in ancient rhetoric and oratory. And so you'll hear in a lot of these texts of the church fathers how they take a question and then interrogate it with certain questions and then come up with answers to the questions. So they're going to talk about the who, what, why, how, and in what manner, so forth. You'll hear that echoed a little bit in this reading as well. Keep your ears tuned for it. Another thing that you'll find familiar if you've been paying attention to even modern discussions about the relationship of faith and reason, uh, which is something that uh, Pope Benedict talks about a lot. Uh, you'll hear about the elevation of reason by grace, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, introduced into the human person so that we can grasp things that we wouldn't ordinarily be able to grasp with our intellect alone. You'll also hear the liturgical references to the baptismal formula with the Trinitarian uh, invocation of the names of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and how they uh, confer a gift. But 
at the same time, the way that we receive the gift uh, depends, you know, makes a difference for how much grace we receive and just exactly what it is we're receiving. Remember, you know, that whatever we receive is re received in the manner of the one receiving it. So we have to be open and we have to uh, be properly disposed to receive sacraments. But now I'm getting into, uh, you know, like more modern concepts. Let's just listen to Hillary now in this wonderful section from De Trinitate. Dominus baptizari iussit in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Id est in confessione et auctoris et unigeniti et doni. Auctor unus est omnium. Unus est enim Deus Pater ex quo omnia. Et unus unigenitus Dominus noster Jesus Christus perquem omnia. Et unus Spiritus donum in omnibus. Omnia ergo sunt suis virtutibus ac meritis ordinata, una potestas ex qua omnia, una progenies, per quam omnia, perfecte spei munus unum. Nec de esse quidquam consumationi tante reperietur, intraquam sit in Patre et Filio et Spiritu Sancto, infinitas in eterno, species in imagine. Our Lord commanded us to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, then, we profess faith in the Creator, in the only begotten Son, and in the gift which is the Spirit. There is one Creator of all things, for in God there is one Father, from whom all things have their being, and there is one only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things exist, and there is one Spirit, the gift who is in all. So all follow their due order according to the proper operation of each. One power, which brings all things into being, one Son, through whom all things come to be, and one gift of perfect hope. Nothing is wanting to this flawless union. In Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there is infinity of endless being, perfect reflection of the divine image, and mutual enjoyment of the gift. Our Lord has described the purpose of the Spirit's presence in us. Let us listen to his words. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I go, I will send you the Advocate. And also, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine. From among many of our Lord's sayings, these have been chosen to guide our understanding, for they reveal to us the intention of the giver, the nature of the gift, and the condition for its reception. Since our weak minds cannot comprehend the Father or the Son, we have been given the Holy Spirit as our intermediary and advocate, 
to shed light on that hard doctrine of our faith, the incarnation of God. We receive the spirit of truth so that we can know the things of God. In order to grasp this, consider how useless the faculties of the human body would become if they were denied their exercise. Our eyes cannot fulfill their task without light, neither natural or artificial. Our ears cannot react without sound vibrations, and in the absence of any odor our nostrils are ignorant of their function. Not that these senses would lose their own nature if they were not used. Rather, they demand objects of experience in order to function. It is the same with the human soul. Unless it absorbs the gift of the spirit through faith, the mind has the ability to know God but lacks the light necessary for that knowledge. This unique gift which is in Christ, is offered in its fullness to everyone. It is everywhere available, but it is given to each man in proportion to his readiness to receive it. Its presence is the fuller, the greater the man's desire to be worthy of it. This gift will remain with us until the end of the world, and will be our comfort in the time of waiting. By the favor it bestows, it is the pledge of our hope for the future, the light of our minds, and the splendor that irradiates our understanding. Omne omnibus patet unum, et quod ubique non deest, in tantum datur in quantum quis volet sumere, in tantum resident in quantum quis volet promereri, hoc usque in consumationem seculi nobiscum, Hoc expectationis nostre solatium, hoc in donorum operationibus future spei pinius est, hoc mensium lumen hic splendor animorum est. That was a selection from Hilary of Poitiers' uh, wonderful treatise on the Trinity. And there are some uh, interesting points that we can dig out there. Uh, first of all, you heard about, uh, you heard the baptismal formula, the Trinitarian formula, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, you know that there are some priests out there who, uh, on their own initiative, decided that they weren't going to use the Trinitarian formula as the Church said. They were going to make it up to make it more, you know, like meaningful or something. Uh, and so some priests out there started actually baptizing in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier. But the problem is that's invalid. We have to use the Trinitarian formula because Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier merely sounds like it's three different ways of the way that God relates to man rather than how God relates to the other you know, persons of the Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this is uh, kind of important for all of our consideration of the validity of sacraments, for example, even of non-Catholics. 
for, let's take just just for an example, perhaps the most obvious example. If a, if a person is baptized as a Lutheran, as I originally was, I'm a convert to Holy Church, I was baptized by the pouring of water when the Trinitarian formula was said. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And they made the water flow on my skin when that was happening. They did so uh, with a Trinitarian faith. I mean, Lutherans have Trinitarian faith. They understand the same things that we do when they say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the triune God. They believe the same thing Catholics do. They think that baptism also confers this gift of the Spirit. But let's say, for example, there's another group that might use the same words, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They might talk about uh, you know, Jesus as, as Christ and use the same terms, exact same terms that we do, even the term baptism. For example, the Mormons use exactly the same language that we do in talking about the Trinity, but by their terms they mean absolutely different things. So, for example, in, in 2001, Pope John Paul II gave permission to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, at that time under Cardinal Ratzinger, to respond uh, definitively to a doubt, a dubium, that was proposed about the validity of Mormon baptism. And the congregation said that Mormon baptism is invalid. And it's invalid uh, because uh, Mormons do not use the, the words, any of the words, or have the same meaning for the words that they use in the formula of baptism that Christians do. And in that sense, Mormons can't really be called Christians because they don't they don't believe in a triune God, a God who is three in one, three divine persons, distinct but in perfect unity in one single divine nature. And for baptism to be valid, the person baptizing must intend to do what the church intends. And so when they say the word, they have to, uh, words, they have to understand what the church intends by them. Even though they might not necessarily believe it, they have to at least, un they, you know, they have to uh, have the intention to say what the church says and do what the church does. But the Mormons have an exactly different intention. They don't intend to do what the Christians do. They intend to do what they do. And so when, you know, Mormons uh, baptize, you know, they can you know, do anything they want. They can pour all the water they want. They can say the same words, but they don't mean the same things by exactly the same words that Christians use. Mormons have a concept of, of God and man that are completely different from ours. They think, for example, that man and God have the same nature. And then eventually man, you know, will be, every man will be exalted to his own planet. And, you know, they're going to be gods of their own planets and so forth. You know, it gets a little stranger from there, but uh, suffice to say that uh, even though they say you know the same kinds of words as Christians and use the same terminology, their baptism is not valid. But this leads us to a, a different point too, and a deeper point, and maybe one a little bit more relevant to us as Catholics. And this point is this: we depend on Christ as the minister for the validity and the holiness of the sacraments, all the sacraments. The validity and the holiness of sacraments uh, do not depend on the holiness of the minister. Thanks be to God. Because none of the ministers who give you the sacraments are worthy in themselves. They are not the Holy One 
who actually confers the sacrament. Christ is the high priest. He confers the sacrament through the minister. And then, of course, you know, he aligns himself with the minister so very, very closely that, you know, we can say that the minister confers the sacrament. But Christ is the one really acting in the sacrament. And this was a very, very important thing for the ancient church because uh, the ancient church actually, in North Africa, actually split over this question of whether or not ministers who had, you know, betrayed the Christian cause by caving into the demands of the empire in uh, swearing, you know, or offering sacrifice uh, before the gods or before the genius of the emperor, uh, certain people said, well, no, this person is now stained and therefore everything that they do cannot be valid or holy anymore because the minister is bad. And it tore the church apart in what we call the Donatist controversy. But eventually St. Augustus, Augustine of Hippo helped us work this out. And he is the one who really helped us understand clearly that it's not the holiness of the minister that counts. Uh, he said, for example, in one of his tractates in the Gospel of John, he said, you know, Peter, whether it's Peter or Paul or Judas who baptizes, Christ is the one baptizing. And so you might be in a parish where you have a priest who is doing all sorts of bizarre things. He might be doing things that are wrong. As a matter of fact, he might uh, have presented himself to you or made such an impression on you in one way or another that you don't want to go anywhere near him because you don't think he's a, you know, either a good person or a priest or whatever it might be. And though, and though you need the sacraments, you might hold yourself away from going to seek them out or receive them because of the person of the priest. Try to conquer that sentiment if you can, and look past him, uh, frail, weak, uh, fallen man that he might be, and remember your uh, good, solid Catholic doctrine that it's Christ who confers the sacraments, and they don't depend on the holiness of the minister. If you have not been to the sacrament of penance for a very long time and gone to receive absolution after confessing your sins for a very long time because you don't like the priest, I will submit to you that that's not good enough reason to keep yourself away from the sacrament. The same thing goes for you know, going to Mass or anything else having to do with the life of the parish. The person of the priest, sure, of course, it makes a big difference whether or not you can stomach the guy. But the most important thing in your life is also the sacramental dimension of your Christian life. You have to receive the sacraments. These are the ordinary means Christ gave us to get the graces that we need to live well in this life so we can be happy with him in the next.
It's been a super busy time here in Rome. Uh, gosh, I've been just, you know, running ragged, it seems. And it's been really, really hot. It's uh, late now. It's uh, almost 11.30 in the evening, and it's still about 90 degrees in my room, so it's getting pretty toasty here in Rome. Uh, lots of people are trying to see me, and uh, it's been really great. I, my social life has never been richer, and that always happens. Uh, just as I'm about to leave Rome for a while, and I am. I'm packing up my place here. Uh, I'm going to put things in storage, and I'm leaving for the Sabine Farm to go back to the United States uh, on the 4th of June. So my days are ticking off. Also, uh, what else is going on in life? Well, um, here in Rome, uh, the Vox Clara Committee is meeting here in Rome. They're having meetings in the offices of the congregation. And the uh, Italian Bishops' Conference is meeting right now, too, in their plenary session. And that's really, really controversial because uh, right now the bishops, after all these decades of having been filtered by you know, the Christian Democrat Party here in Italy and with a strong couple of strong popes behind them for a while and now that we've got a new generation of bishops coming up the bishops have discovered that they have a powerful voice and the left wing is freaking out and so there are all sorts of attacks against the church in the press and attacks against the pope uh, but the uh, the bishops are, are finding a voice in italy and it's really very very exciting uh what else is going on? well tomorrow uh, i'm heading off to the uh, Vatican Basilica. I'll go to celebrate Mass in the Clementine Chapel, which is in the crypt of St. Peter's Basilica, down underneath the main altar of the, the Basilica, right up against the back of the tomb of St. Peter himself. It's the one, if you've ever been down in the crypt, then you've gone to where the uh, tomb of Pius Twelfth is, Servant of God Pius Twelfth. Uh, is uh, whose uh, cause for beatification is, it looks like it's moving forward um, that little bitty chapel there is is uh, where I said my first mass many years ago tomorrow's my anniversary ordination so I'm going to go down there and say mass and uh, uh, tonight I went to see a wonderful uh, preview or premiere of a new film documentary about the experience of Christians uh, in China. It was really interesting, and I'll be able to give you some more feedback about that later. I've done a little tinkering with the blog. That's WDTPRS.com, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra.com. I hope you'll come and visit. Uh, I put on the left sidebar a spot where you can leave voice messages up to two minutes long and I'm going to be able to uh, even download them in an audio file format and maybe even incorporate them into these podcasts. For example, I got a message from Calm and here it is. Father Z, may God Almighty protect you and give you the grace to continue in the good work you're doing doing the will of the Father and bringing the Son to the rest of us on the internet. Um, I used to think you were called Father Zed until I started listening to your podcasts. Anyway, I wanted to ask you, Father, would it be okay to burn uh, some of these podcasts onto a CD so that a friend of mine could listen to them when he was driving along in his car because he hasn't got an MP3 player? Thanks very much. My name's Colin from Ireland. 
Thanks for the message, Calm. I'm really appreciative of your chiming in. You're the first. You're the very first one. And sure, yeah, if you want to uh, burn these things onto uh, to a disc and listen to them in the car, I don't see any reason why you can't do that. I enjoy them. Spread them around. If a friend can uh, can benefit from them, that's fine. I, uh, I'm glad that you asked, though. That was very polite of you, and uh, I hope that they are... Uh, worthy of of your friend's attention and and of yours too thanks for listening i appreciate it anyway i've got to wrap this up i've got a really really long day and a very early morning and it's late now so if i'm going to get this thing into the can i better shut down now bye bye